This is Palm Sunday, and this marks the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And what I want to do this morning is sort of take us back in time, help us to understand what was going on then, and try and see the difference, the impact it makes on our lives today. Now, Jesus rose to prominence three years earlier when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And it, he was baptized in the same place where Joshua had led the Israelites across the river into the Promised Land. And if you remember the story of his baptism, you know that, that God the Father spoke from heaven in a big loud voice, and he said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then immediately he was led out into the wilderness to fast and to pray for 40 days. At his weakest moment, Satan came and he began to tempt him. He was trying to get him to give up the purpose for which he came to earth. But Jesus prevailed. Jesus prevailed. Now, there were lots of different reactions to Jesus over the next three years. Some people just, just loved him and praised him, and, and they exalted him. They wanted him to become the king of the Jews, to deliver them from the bondage and the oppression of the Romans. And then there were other people who wanted to kill Jesus because he posed a threat to their way of life. Numerous times, numerous times, some of Jesus' followers tried to get him to go to Jerusalem to take his rightful place as a king of the Jews. But time and time again, you would hear him say these words, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Well, guess what? His time has come. His time has come. That's what Palm Sunday represents. And, and he's finally going into Jerusalem. And it was, it was this time of year when Jews from all over the place would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, this festival, this commemoration of what God had done way back when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, when he spared the firstborn of Israel, and when he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt through the leadership of Moses. And so people would gather in Jerusalem. And so the, the population of Jerusalem would, would swell from 20,000 to over 250,000 people. And not only would the population of the people swell, but so would the population of the lambs. Because every family needed to take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb to atone for their sins. So that's what's happening. Imagine Jesus. So he wakes up on this Sunday morning, and he knows all that is before him. All that is before him. Then he calls a couple of his disciples over, and he says, all right, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethany, you know, just the city right up, up, up here. You know, it's, it's where Lazarus and, and Martha and Mary, you guys know them. We've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks. That's where they live. And there's a certain house I want you to go to. And when you go to that house, guess what you're going to find? There's this little donkey there, a donkey that's never been ridden. And I want you to untie it and bring it to me. Now, now these disciples are like, do what? Like, they're, they're really uncomfortable, as you might be. Like, you're, you're, you're being told to go and take a donkey that doesn't belong to you. And they say, well, Jesus, what do we say if, if they object? And he's like, look, just tell them the Lord has need of it. 
And, and so they do that. Like, that's faith. They trust Jesus, and they go, and they find the donkey just like he had said, and they untie it, and someone says, what are you doing? He's like, the Lord has need of it. And they're like, cool, go. You know, off they go. And so they bring the donkey to Jesus, and Jesus mounts this little donkey. And um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And this is um, why he did it. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it was to fulfill a prophecy, a promise about the Messiah who would come, this King of the Jews. And this is what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your King comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies about the coming king, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now he begins to make this two-mile journey to Jerusalem. Now, I, I want to encourage you, this is just an aside, I, I want to invite all of you guys. Some of you guys haven't been here um, ever. Some of you haven't been here in a while. We're taking a trip to the Holy Land. Carol and I are going to lead it. It's not this June, but the following June. I, I want you to come with us because you can see and experience all that I'm talking about right here. Go on our website. You can get information. You can sign up. You can give me a call. But I would love for you to go and experience it because your life will never be the same after it. Anyhow, that, that's a commercial plug. So um, imagine now like Jesus is on this donkey and he is cresting this hill. It's known as the Mount of Olives. And if you go with me, you'll see it just like Jesus saw it. And as he was coming up on, on the mount, as he looked off in the distance, he could see Jerusalem. Before him was the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley. Now, when you think of a valley, I think of the Roanoke Valley. And, and the Roanoke Valley is pretty big. It's pretty vast, isn't it, as it sits between two mountain ranges. Well, the Kidron Valley is not very big. It, it's, again, it's only two miles long. It's, it's a, a bit of a hill down and a bit of a hill up. And so Jesus is looking upon the Kidron Valley, and then he looks and he sees Jerusalem right in front of him. And right in the center of Jerusalem is the temple, is the temple. And it sits up on this, this mount, Mount Moriah. And then if you look just a little above it, just as Jesus did, there, there's another mount. It's called Calvary. Some people called it Golgotha, which means skull, because it looked like a skull. And it was there that the Romans would crucify people. And as Jesus looked at the throngs of people and the throngs of lambs heading to the temple, he knew that his ultimate destination was not the temple. It was Calvary and the cross. And as he scanned to his left, he could see the house with the upper room where he would celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. This would be his last supper. And as he continued to scan to the left, he saw Caiaphas's house. He was the high priest, and Jesus would be taken there on the night of his betrayal, and he would be betrayed by the religious leaders of his day. And then as he scanned back to the right, over to the right, he could see Herod's temple, the palace that he lived in, and there was the praetorium, and that was the very place where the governor, Pontius Pilate, would sentence him to death on the cross on Calvary. And then as he looks down to, to his right, back um, down the Kidron Valley, there was an olive grove over here. 
there was a garden there called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it would be there that he would cry out to God the Father. He would anguish as he awaited his fate. And so all of this is before Jesus. This has to be running through his mind. And then he comes back into the moment. And you know what he sees? People coming out, lining the streets, lining the streets with palm branches and waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he, the king of Israel. And he's taking all of this in. And Luke tells us, as he looked over Jerusalem, I believe as he looked over the people waving the palm branches, those making their trek to the temple, those just going about their everyday lives, he wept. He wept. And I don't believe he, he was weeping because of the sorrow that he knew he would feel and the suffering he would experience in the coming days. I, I believe he wept because of the lostness of the people. See, some people were lost because their hope was in religious practices. That's the folks that were making their way to the temple. So, some people were lost because their hope was in a military king. They hoped that he would deliver them from slavery and oppression. I think he wept because some people were lost just because they didn't have any hope at all. But he wept. Now, what I want us to focus on is what happened after his triumphal entry. And to do that, we're going to be in John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 20 through 26. So if you'd like to follow along, we've got church Bibles there. If you don't have one of your own, it's page 1065. 1065. You can turn there and follow along with me. Beginning in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said. We would like to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So people came. Even non-Jews were there, and they wanted to see Jesus. Now, people wanted to see Jesus for lots of different reasons. Some people wanted to come and see Jesus for the miraculous signs and wonders that he would perform. Some people wanted to come and see Jesus because of the words that he shared, these words of life, he, he spoke in a way that nobody had ever heard before. Some people wanted to come to Jesus to receive this gift of faith that he was offering. They came to Jesus for many different reasons. And I believe today that people still want to come and they want to see Jesus. Even though some people may not realize it, all of us want to see Jesus. Now, we, I believe, are called to be like Philip and Andrew. Like, we've got this opportunity to help people to come and to see Jesus. And we can do that by, by leading them um, through prayer. We can pray for them. We can pray with them in hopes that they will see Jesus. We, we can open up God's word, Jesus' story, and, and begin to show them, here's Jesus. And they can begin to experience him through his story. I, I believe we can take them to see Jesus by simply the way we live and love and lead as followers of his. 
But I believe today, just like 2,000 years ago, people want to see Jesus. And we have an opportunity like Philip and Andrew to take them and see. Now, sadly, I'm afraid some of the people that had gathered, they were too late and they never got to see Jesus. Now listen to what Jesus said, beginning in verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This idea of dying and losing your life to find your life is a bit confusing. And if you're confused about it today, don't feel bad. The disciples who were walking with him daily, they didn't quite get this. John tells us earlier, he says, this was lost on them until Jesus actually died and rose from the dead. It wasn't until then that they started to get it. Like it started to make sense. Oh, that's what he was talking about. You know, dying, being buried, coming to life. Ah, it starts to make sense. So that's the message for us today. Um, it, I, I remember, and, and they remembered up until this point, that Jesus just kept telling folks, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And now he's saying, it's time. My time has come. And up to that point, see, the people had, had been thinking that the path to Jesus' kingship, that it went through Judea and Jerusalem. But Jesus knew that his path to kingship went through death and dying. His ultimate path to kingship wasn't through Jerusalem and Judea. It was through death and dying. He had to die so that folks like you and me might come to life. That one death would lead to multiple seeds, to a great harvest of people like you and me. And um, I, I love this idea of, of the tiny kernel of wheat. Like, so you guys know what that looks like. I, I didn't have any wheat at home. I was going to bring you a, a little kernel, but I didn't have any. But, uh, you know, it, it's amazing, isn't it? And you take this one little kernel and you place it in the earth and you cover it up with dirt. And then what happens as it's watered and nurtured and the sun comes out? All of a sudden, you get lots of wheat and it's amazing and these these heads come and they're just so many you know seeds of wheat that can then be replanted and more and more and more and it's this multiplication process and and so that's what jesus recognized he knew that he had to die that he had to be buried so that he could come to life and he could offer life to so many now um again jesus knew that he he had to to rise and that he would become this king that they were longing for, but it wasn't, again, just as Sutton shared earlier, he wouldn't be the kind of king that they really thought they needed. He would be a different kind of king, and his kingdom wouldn't just reside in Jerusalem. No, his throne would actually be a heavenly throne, and it would also be a spiritual throne. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing that he was offering, that he wanted to become the king of our lives. And for that to happen, 
we have to recognize that, that we no longer should reside on the throne of our own life, that we need to be willing to step down off of those thrones and invite Jesus to come in and to take his rightful place on the throne of our hearts, on the throne of our lives. That's what he offers us. And when we accept that, everything begins to change. His Holy Spirit comes in and, and takes, takes his seat on that throne, and, and our perspectives begin to change. And um, it, it's so dramatic, like this, this newfound joy, this newfound relationship, this newfound purpose is so great that all of a sudden we start to find that the things that we used to long for and cling to in this world, all of a sudden they don't have the same meaning. Actually, it, it's almost like we begin to hate those things. Like that's the dramatic change that takes place. And I think that's what Jesus was referring to. So in verse 25, Jesus was saying, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he's saying that, that when you experience this, all of a sudden, you know, the longing for the, the new big house, it, it, it's not the same. You don't, you don't long for it like you used to. It's almost as if you hate the things of this world that the new car is not so important to you anymore, that career and, and all the accomplishments and all the promises of it that you, you were just clinging to, all of a sudden you're like, it's really not that big a deal. You know, what I long for is Jesus. And what I long for is to see other people come to know the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, this everlasting life that he offers. Like that's what gives me excitement. That's what gives me purpose. That's what gives me true and everlasting joy and life. And everything changes. When we step down as kings of our own lives, when we step down off the throne of our hearts and we ask Jesus to come, Jesus, come. Take your rightful place. Sit on the throne of my heart, on the throne of my life. Would you be my king? Everything changes. And I love how Luke talks about it. So Luke... Um, you know, wrote down this, uh, this conversation with Jesus. And, and this is how he phrased it. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. If you want to go and, and look that up at some point, you just, where you are in John, you just turn left a little bit. All right. And so this is what, John, uh, what Jesus said and, and Luke recorded. He said, the son of man must suffer many things, he said. He must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes. And he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then Jesus said to all of them, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is one of the things that I find interesting. Jesus was called to die once for mankind, but we're called to die daily for mankind. You ever thought about that? Jesus was called to die once. We're called to die daily. And, and that may seem like an incredible sacrifice on our part. Like, where's the joy in that? And, and I think if we feel that, it's because we don't understand the source of true joy and true purpose, that actually it's a joy to die to ourselves, to our selfishness, and to live for God's sake and for other people's sake. Because when we die, just like Jesus, just like that little kernel of wheat, all of a sudden, 
guess what comes forth? More and more and more seed. See, that's a gift that we've been offered. And, and I saw a little glimpse of this. Last night, I went to the Young Life Banquet. And um, Young Life is a ministry to middle school and high school kids. And it's the 20-year anniversary of Young Life's presence in Botetourt County. And one of the things that really touched me were the slides of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids whose lives were forever changed because some other people chose to die daily so that they might experience the same joy, the same purpose, the same hope that they had experienced through this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as these leaders were dying and some of their, their fellow students were dying daily to themselves and living for God and living for them, their lives are forever changed. And you know one of my great joys is like I look around this room now and I see some of your faces and, and some of you don't look quite as good as you looked back then, but you like there's a newfound maturity and there's a newfound joy in you, right? There's a newfound life. And, and I look around the room and, and I can see some of the folks that I saw in the pictures who were leading other people to Jesus. How incredible is that, that we can sacrifice a little bit of ourselves and then lives are forever changed. You know, Jesus died and millions, if not billions of people's lives were forever changed, not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. And we have this opportunity to die on a daily basis for the sake of others so that maybe tens of people, maybe hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people over the years might experience this new, abundant, everlasting life and joy. We've been invited into that. I got a glimpse of that, a reminder of that last night and the importance of it. And, and it's interesting, in the moment, you probably don't realize the seeds that you're sowing, but you get old like me. Time is a beautiful thing, actually, from that point of view, and you see the fruit. You see the lives that have been changed, and you look back and go, you know what? There is nothing else I would rather do. There is nothing else I would rather have. A changed life. How do you put a price on it? That's what we've been invited into. That's what Jesus has accomplished for us. Now, as we were singing earlier, we, we were singing Christ Be Magnified, and uh, I was struck by the, by the bridge this week because I knew we were going to sing this song. And sometimes when you're singing, I, I don't know that we fully focus on, on the words. Listen to these words from the bridge again and let them sink in. It says, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. 
And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. You know, as Jesus approached Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knew that his time has come. It, it was time to die. And, and as we enter into Palm Sunday today, I hope we realize the time has come for us to die as well, to die daily for the sake of God and the sake of others, because death is just the doorway. Death is just the doorway to resurrection life. And so I'm going to invite you now that, to come and to die, to come and to die, to die to yourself, your selfish ways, and to really ask Jesus to be the king, to sit on the throne of your heart and your life so that you might live for him and live for the sake of others so that they too might experience this life and that they might hopefully die to themselves and imagine how those seeds continue to grow and multiply the fruit, the number of lives that are changed. So I'm going to invite you to come and die. I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to come forward, you can pray at the rail. I find that's, that's a, a special time to just bow my knee and, and to pray at the rail. And I'd invite you to do that. We're also going to have a couple different prayer ministers up here that would be honored to pray with you if you would like them to pray. But it, it begins by just asking Jesus, Jesus, I, I need you. Would you come and take your rightful place as the king of my life? So let's pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for this Palm Sunday. Thank you for all that it represents. Thank you that we can look back and we can see the, the myriad of emotions that Jesus must have been um, experiencing that morning as he mounted that, that young donkey and, and began um, first the descent through the Kidron Valley and the, the ascent into Jerusalem and to the temple. And ultimately, Lord, ultimately to the cross. I thank you that he was willing to die so that we might be able to truly live. And I pray that we too right now might be willing to die. The time has come for us to die and to begin to live for you. Holy Spirit, come and move in us, move in our minds, move in our hearts, move in our bodies, move in our spirits like never before. We invite you now in Jesus' name. Amen.